This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. And happy Patriot Day to you. September 11th. Can you believe it? Uh, September 11th. Honoring those lives of the 2,970, what was it, almost 3,000 people died on September 11th, 2001. Holy cow, what memories. Welcome to the program, everybody. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, First, going to just talk a little bit about September 11th, 9-11. Holy cow, seriously, Terry, where were you? 9-11, 2001, Uh, when you heard the news. Parking my car at the University of Utah. Really? Did you hear it on the radio? I did. I was listening to the radio on the way to work, or the way to school, and uh, somebody was watching one of the uh, network morning shows, and they said, they they put up video of an airplane through the skyline of New York, which looks, you know, strange, obviously. And then it crashed into the building, and they said, this is what's going on. They, they were trying to figure it out, and I guess on TV they had no idea exactly what right. had happened. They were trying to get people out to figure out, and and uh, then I got out of my car, met my uh, wife. We walked into the library. Were you married at the time? I was not. She was my girlfriend. Your girlfriend? Your squeeze? Ends up where we go into the University of Utah in the library, and uh, they had a TV pulled out into the uh, lobby area and there's probably 50 to 100 people and we stood there for three and a half hours and watched it all happen. Oh my heavens. Isn't that wild? I was in LA at the LAX Marriott Hotel. I remember I was ironing my pants. That's all I'm going to tell you. And my wife calls and she's like, are you watching this? And I'm like, no, because I was watching some other movie. I don't know. It's six in the morning, whatever it was. And um, she, I turn it on and it was right after the first plane hit, and they were, they, that was it. They didn't know what had happened, like because yeah. you remember another a small airplane flew into the trade center years ago, and they're like, I think it was a small plane. Anyway, then like ten minutes after that, the second airline hit, and it was like, okay, here we go. But it was a weird day for me because I had probably forty people waiting in the lobby. I mean, in a training room there, and I was teaching a leadership workshop. For Franklin Covey. And I was like, we got to cancel this. Like this, these people need to go home. And interestingly, we couldn't cancel. They wouldn't cancel. But right across the hall from me at LAX was the, the grief, the grief counselors for United Airlines. So all of the families with family members on these airplanes, they would all meet across the hall from us. So we'd go in and teach a workshop. We'd take a break about every hour and a half, two hours. And when we come out, we would just see the family, United Airline families grieving with the counselors helping them get through it all. It was the longest three days of my life. Well, and when we'd go back to our rooms, we would look down on the airport at LAX with no airplanes on it. It was the weirdest thing in the world. There wasn't right, they, one airplane in the air. For the whole nation. Yeah. And, and I was there see, three days. You see the pictures of um, – you can look online see pictures of airplanes that they landed in Canada. 
Yep. And you'll see these small airports, and they have 30 Packed. jumbo jets just sitting there right. because they were caught in the air outside of U.S. airspace. Yeah. They weren't allowed in. Do you so. remember that? And then, then you would just – everyone was just watching TV all the time, all day long, story yeah. after it was, story It was a confusing story. day. As I, was, I was at school. We watched for like three hours, and we're like, do we go to class? Yeah. What are we what doing? Do we do? And so I went to class. And the teacher got up and was like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do here. So we had our political stats class. And, Isn't that weird? And then later in the day, I went to, I worked at, um, at UPS. And the people there were really confused. Like, well, are we, what are we, this is. You can't load a we, plane. Yeah, right. what are we doing? You know, it's kind of confusing that way uh, as to what we were doing. Right. And just, it seemed odd to go on with your life that day. Totally. With something like that that happens. It was interesting because as I was teaching leadership uh, skills and, and tools, I thought, it was actually very appropriate because finally we have something to deal with. And so we ended up just talking about it and using this, the skills and the principles. But nobody knew what to do because this had never been done before. And then I kept waiting you know, for the, air, the airport to open and then I'd just get an air – I'd get a – no, no. I ended up taking a bus <laughs> and um, from L.A. to Salt Lake City and it was like the longest day of my life. I think it's really normally like a 10 or 11 hour drive, 12 hour drive. It was about, it was a 24 hour drive. And um, I spent the night with uh, an exotic dancer. Well, hey. On the bus. It was the worst moment of my life. <laughs> Way and, to say that over nationally. <laughs> well, I know, but it was totally true. So I'm sitting there. I, by the way, I had to cross like a picket line of prostitutes to get to the bus station, pulling my projector and all of my <laughs> gear. Mm. And um, got on the bus, and those buses are horrible because you – I mean, they're wonderful if you have to use them. But every hour, you stop every hour. That was 14 years ago. That was 14 years ago. They're so much better now. But every hour, you'd stop in a city, and the guy would – the truck, the bus would stop and say, okay, whatever, Concord, California, wherever it is. Smoke them if you got them. (laughs) One – you got 10 minutes. Smoke them if you got them, and everyone would run off smoke, and they'd all get back on. When we hit uh, Vegas, it like took us – like eight hours or something to get to Vegas. Ugh. I was dying. And um, in Vegas, the guy got on. He says, look, it's going to be a packed bus. So everyone's going to have a seat, mate. Just pick your seat. Let's get going. And so you see one by one people are getting on the bus. And you're like, oh, no, not him. <laughs> you look up like, no, not don't him. <laughs> not, not her, not him. And this one lovely, beautiful woman gets on. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> anyway, she sat right next to me. And we started talking. She's like, what do they call you? I'm like, my name? She's like, yeah. Well, I found out she's a dancer, an exotic dancer from Portland that was in Vegas for a convention. A convention. (laughs) And she – and I go, really? What's your name? She's like, well, they call me – they call me – what was her name? It was so funny. They call me Honey or Mocha. I'm like, sweet. She's like, what do they call you? And I'm like, because at the time I was serving as a lay leader in my church. I'm like, they call me bishop. (laughs) It's the weirdest thing in the world. Then we started driving home and stopped in every city all the way home. And she she says, is is it okay if I just put my head on your shoulder and fall asleep? Well, actually. um, And my hmm. mouth said, sure. And everything in my body was like, ah. Probably not. I probably shouldn't. (laughs) It was crazy.
Worst thing is we drive by 22 hours later. I'm passing my exit. Oh, yeah. Because you have Salt to go Lake to the terminal City. and you know where. Uh, you know and where I can just, just see it. And I'm like, I just want to get off right here. Just stop on the freeway. And I had to go off. all the way downtown. Then I had to take a taxi to the airport. And then I had to pay a hundred and something dollars to get my car out of parking. Because it was there. And then drive all the way home. Wow. Longest day of my life. But it was that was tragic. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and the weird thing I remember is coming home and my congregation, they were all, we had a really awesome week, uh, like a, what are they called? Like a little camp out we had been preparing for. Took this entire church group on this camp out, and it was the most solemn meeting I've ever been to. It was helping everybody kind of just grieve through what they had seen. So 9-11, folks, 9-11, celebrating it today. Uh, and again, 2,977 souls lost on that day. Um, tragedy. Patriot Day. That's why we call it Patriot Today. Today and today we're celebrating the patriots uh, that uh, made it through that and that have you know been protecting us ever since. Now we got to get going. We got to get to the news. Uh, so let's actually go to the the news in review with Kathy Aiken. Good morning, everyone. The summer recess ended Tuesday with Congress back in session. Two key issues were on the table, including the Iran nuclear deal and talks to defund Planned Parenthood. GOP presidential contenders Donald Trump and Ted Cruz appeared at a rally against the nuclear accord Wednesday in Washington. That deal will be totally renegotiated or worse. They have suckered us. They have taken advantage of stupid people, stupid representatives, people that are incompetent, whether it's Kerry or our president. Despite polls showing the vast majority of Americans against the nuclear deal, President Obama has secured enough Democratic support to sustain a veto. A report out Tuesday said two emails Hillary Clinton received on her private email server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. On Tuesday, Clinton finally apologized for the server and the controversy it has caused. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, and I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. Clinton's poll numbers continue to drop. According to a poll this week from NBC News, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire. Meanwhile, a Quinnipiac poll yesterday shows Sanders with 41 percent in Iowa to Clinton's 40 percent. In a Rolling Stone magazine interview, Donald Trump insulted Carly Fiorina when he said, quote, look at that face. Would anyone vote for that? Close quote. Trump later said he was talking about Fiorina's persona. Meanwhile, when asked about his comments, Fiorina told Megyn Kelly of Fox News she must be getting under Trump's skin since she's climbing in the polls. Meanwhile, GOP presidential contender Bobby Jindal was at the National Press Club in Washington yesterday calling Trump unstable, a narcissist, unserious, and a carnival act. Another incident on an Arizona freeway has officials scrambling to find some answers. Officials say a passenger's car window was damaged by an unspecified projectile yesterday morning. There have been at least 10 other confirmed shootings in the last two weeks. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses, was released from jail Wednesday after spending five days behind bars. Republican presidential nominee Mike Huckabee was there to greet her. But if you have to put someone in jail... I volunteer to go. Let me go. Davis's attorney said his client could be back at work today or early next week. The judge in the case said Davis cannot interfere with her deputies issuing same-sex marriage licenses or she could be back behind bars. 
Germany's Vice Chancellor Sigmar Gabriel said his country could take in a half million refugees annually for the next several years. An estimated 20,000 refugees entered Germany via Hungary this past weekend alone. Gabriel, however, is demanding other European countries accept the refugees so his country doesn't have to take in the majority of those looking for a better life. Several hundred police officers from around the country attended the funeral of Joe Glenowitz, the officer killed while chasing three suspects on foot. Officer Nicholas Garcia talked about the fallen deputy. Joe was a great husband, an awesome dad, a mentor to the police officers of tomorrow and a friend to many. The manhunt continues for the three suspects. Two Texas high school football players were suspended from school after charging after a referee and knocking him to the ground during a game last Friday night. Police say they're investigating the incident. Here's criminal defense attorney James Reeve. The problem in this case is the helmets could arguably uh, be considered a weapon. If the helmet's considered a weapon, that will make it a felony in this case. The players from John Jay High School were immediately ejected from the game and one of the team's assistant coaches has been suspended with pay while an investigation looks into whether or not he had any involvement. Serena Williams beat her sister Venus in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. When I'm playing her, I don't think of her as my sister because she's playing well. She's He's hitting so many big serves and running a lot of balls down. So when you're in the moment, you don't really think about it. We trained all our lives to be on this court and to play in front of you guys. And for us, it's a, it's a real great honor. Serena is looking to become the fourth woman to win the Grand Slam of tennis with a win at the U.S. Open. Vicki Gardner, the woman who was being interviewed by Allison Parker during a live interview in Virginia on August 26th, was released from the hospital this week. Parker and her cameraman Adam Ward were shot and killed during the live shot. Gardner was also shot and rushed into surgery. And Pope Francis issued new rules this week governing annulment of marriages in the Catholic Church. The Pope wants new regulations to speed up the process for open and shut cases or annulments requested by both spouses. The new rule also removes automatic appeals. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate it. Uh, again, Patriot Day. Celebrating the lives of those that uh, we lost during the Trade Center um, tower crashes. But when we come back, a whole new topic. Dr. Lee Drutman will be joining us, and we're going to be talking about the business of lobbying in America. It's crazy when you get into the numbers about uh, how many, how much money is being spent a year by lobbyists. Would you believe maybe even more than taxpayers are paying to the government? Interesting stuff, folks. Dr. Lee Drutman will be walking us through American lobbying, how it might uh, be really the, the problem. We'll be talking about it up next, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, here's some numbers for you. Tell me if you can fathom this. Corporations now spend about $2.6 billion a year on reported lobbying expenditures. Okay, $2.6 billion on uh, lobbying expenditures to the Congress and the Senate, right, the House and the Senate, where... More than $2 billion we spend to actually fund the House and the Senate. $1.16 billion goes to the House, 
$820 million goes to the Senate. So as taxpayers, we spend about $2 billion to fund all of our Congress uh, men and women. Corporations spend about $2.6 billion lobbying them. That's what's reported. So lobbies, they're taking over, folks. If they, They've actually probably been been in charge for a long time. We wanted to bring in an expert on the subject. Today, with these corporations, almost every major corporation has an office in Washington, and uh, that hasn't necessarily always been the case. Though, In fact, prior to 1970, there were really only a few. And so we wanted to figure out what's going on. We we're asking Dr. Lee Drutman to join us. He's a senior fellow in the program on political reform at New America. He's the author of The Business of America is Lobbying and is an expert on lobbying, influence, and money in politics. He also uh, has worked with the U.S. Senate and at the Brookings Institution. He's here today to give us some insight on what on earth is going on with lobbying in D.C. Dr. Lee Drutman, thank you for being here today. Pleasure to be with you. We um, we are being bought apparently by the lobbies of the world. Is 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 that is it a big deal from an expert's opinion like you? Uh, of of course, it's a big deal. Uh, we have a system of government where we've basically uh, outsourced policymaking to private companies who have. Uh, a very, very narrow interest in how they'd like to see public policy be made. Uh, as, as you, you mm. introduced the, the segment, we uh, collectively spend less on the entire House and the entire Senate than corporations spend on reported lobbying. So what are the consequences of that? Well, you know, people often say uh, we have the best Congress money can buy, but <laughs> actually it, it's quite the opposite. We've been doing government on the cheap for a long time. We now have a third fewer uh, committee staffers, key policy-making positions in Congress than we had in 1980. Wow. Lobbying has, has increased at least sixfold. Uh, just the, the amount of demands, the complexity of, of, of legislation, of, of the economy uh, has grown tremendously. So we are expecting our government to do a lot more, giving them a lot fewer resources. So what has happened is that they, people who are working in Congress, I've worked in Congress myself, a lot of really bright, intelligent, uh, enthusiastic people who, who, who want to do the right thing, but they just don't have the experience, they don't have the resources, and the lobbyists come along and say, we're here to help you. Uh, and you might want to put help in quotes. Uh, but, but they're literally, the lobbyists then are doing the thinking. They're the ones doing the research. They're writing up the papers, the propositions, and then they bring them to the legislators. That's exactly right, and, and to their staff. The, yeah, their staff. The, yeah, the, the staff do a lot of the work. That's uh, one of the things. But and I guess really, they're they're even the ones understand. that will go nail down all of the votes, even probably. Yeah, often it's the staff who are coordinating with other staff mm. members. Just just at the last minute, uh, get 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 a recommendation on what to do or how to vote or what to sponsor or what letters to sign on to. Right, and they they just give it an up or down vote. Mm. I mean, uh, it's scary because you can almost see how. You know, a congressperson might sit there and say, you know, that's a really great point. Let me go talk to my people. And then they go talk to the staffers who really go just talk to lobbyists. Is that how this works? That's 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 pretty much what happens. <sighs> now, 
uh, I mean, often staffers will say, well, you know, I talk to people on both sides of the issue. Uh, problem is there aren't often many people on both sides of the issue, or there's 20 people on the business side and, and one person on, on the, the public interest side, and that one person on the public interest side, is like, like the staffers, to cover 20 issues, right. can't be an expert, can't provide the depth, so they just say, well, if business wants it, we're, we're against it without offering any, any uh, real understanding of the issue in business. The lobbyists come and say, "Well, let's take the time and explain this to you, and and uh, say, well, if you if you regulate these banks, you see, you'll actually b- put more risk into the economy, or you'll move jobs over to Hong Kong or, or London, and and we don't want that unless ex- and we have these sophisticated models, and we'll let you talk to our our experts, and mm. and and pretty soon, you know, you have a 24 year old staffer who who doesn't want to blow up the economy." Uh, and is just kind of a little, little scared and uncertain, and has to basically rely on the folks who who fashion themselves as experts. Mm. Is this now this this changed in the seventies? What what happened in the seventies that that made such a big difference? Well. If you go back a little further to the 1960s, uh, you you had uh, a, a period uh, somewhat unique in American history, though it's happened from time to time, uh, when uh, you had a, a, a Congress that uh, was was interested in solving a bunch of social problems, created a bunch of new agencies to deal with environmental problems like the EPA, mm. a workplace safety like OSHA, consumer product safety like the Consumer Product Safety Commission, a whole, a whole host of regulatory agencies uh, to deal with basically the excesses of, of business. Now, at the time, business was not well organized. In fact, General Motors did not have a lobbyist in Washington to oppose the uh, creation of the Department of Transportation uh, after Ralph Nader uh, published Unsafe at Any Speed and created a whole whole uh, to-do about auto safety. But by the early 1970s, business was suddenly dealing with all these new regulatory agencies, mm. and all, the economy was struggling a little bit. Uh, and and there was this moment of of like existential crisis in the in the American business community. And a bunch of executives got together and said, "We better do something because because this country is." From their perspective, they were worried that America was turning into a socialistic place that was going to not respect uh, the free market and and managerial autonomy anymore. And so they got organized. They poured a lot of money into politics. The Chamber of Commerce, which had been a marginal institution, was reinvigorated. They formed the Business Roundtable. And a lot of companies, uh, which had kind of stayed out of politics, business leaders didn't really feel it was their place to get involved in politics. Certainly there were trade associations, but business leaders uh, were mostly running their companies. They started to care about politics because it really affected their business. Now, by the by, the early 1980s, they had been done quite well. They'd lowered their taxes, rolled back regulation. Uh, they had a very sympathetic president and Ronald Reagan in the White House. Uh, but now, you see, they had lobbyists in Washington. And those lobbyists were interested in maintaining uh, what was a pretty lucrative position for them as paid lobbyists. Yeah. And so they kept coming up with more reasons why companies should stay involved in politics. And there are always more issues to, to put on the table, always more threats to, 
to pose to to corporate boards and say, "Hey, you better keep us uh, employed, or else uh, some government agency is going to regulate you and destroy your profits." And this kind of has a, a self-reinforcing quality to it because the more companies lobby, the more lobbyists they have making the case for more things that the company should get involved in. They're getting into bigger and bigger fights. Meanwhile, uh, there's there's a, a increasing competition for, for attention, right? There, right. You know, there, there's a lot more lobbying going on, but there, there's not more days in the year. There's not more hours in the day. In fact, there's uh, fewer policy uh, staff at Congress to, to handle all these demands. So what happens is the, the competition to be heard increases, and so, oh, go ahead, so, lobby, so, so companies, so the lobbyists say, well, you got to do more. You got to pay us even more. You yeah. got to hire more of us. If you want to get through, we have to do more. We have to now build these bigger coalitions. And well, and I we guess have- that they have money, and this is just seen as PR or whatever they. I mean, I, I can't remember what they call it in the corporate world, but I mean, every company has their their yeah, they, congressional. They pub- often they they call it well, they call it government relations. There you go. They yeah, call it public affairs. Yep. Uh, external affairs, uh, ver- various names for it. public affairs would probably be the most most common. But yeah, you're right. These are these are mega big companies, and even even the most active companies. That I mean, Google is now the leading uh, spender on lobbying. They spend about uh, twenty million dollars a year on lobbying. But it's like a rounding error on their daily market <laughs> sure. capitalization. Right. It, well, and and then how many times do you hear Google coming up in? In issues and in um, you know infringements in other countries, and so to to have the pull of the U.S. government behind you, it it's got to help. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Lee Drutman. Let's take a break, Lee. Um, we're, we are talking about lobbying in America, and it's it's an interesting thing. So as lobbying has increased, uh, the actual aptitude and strength of our own congressional teams may be decreasing as they're relying more upon the lobbyists to. To, to give them the ideas and to do the thinking. Let's take a break. We'll come back, continue this discussion, the impact of lobbying uh, in American government and politics, folks. It's, it's huge. It's a real deal. And uh, we're going to find out if it can actually go away. We're speaking with the expert. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about lobbying. It is the business of America. You can be as mad as you want at governments and at your, you know, your your politicians, your candidates. You hear all of these people talk, well, I'm going to get money out of politics. No, you're not. Not really. Politics is being paid for by the lobbyists, the thinking it's being done, the majority of it, by lobbyists. This information brought to you by this lobbying group. Think about some of the problems we've had just in the recent past, right? Well, first of all, just more and more uh, spending, defense spending, Iraq. We've heard all about that. Afghanistan, subprime lending, the student loan problem that's going on that now is being equated to subprime lending issues. Remember the whole argument about Dodd-Frank 
legislating the banks, uh, the health care, Obamacare, every one of those decisions, if you think about it, legislation is being created, and yet behind the scenes are enormous organizations with tons of resources, actually more resources than your Congress people have to think through these issues. And also, interestingly, to complicate the issue, so as these lobbyists get stronger and more confusing and more aggressive and more competitive, is it possible that it's actually weakening your government, your representatives' ability to see through it, to understand it? So think about that. The lobby gets stronger. Your congressional offices get weaker because we don't fund them like we used to. So who's doing all of the thinking? Well, Dr. Lee Drutman joins us now. Dr. Drutman is a senior fellow in the program on political reform at New America. If you go to newamerica.org, it's a website. Uh, they're, it's just full of resources and ideas and a lot of really incredibly uh, in-depth articles, especially even by Dr. Drutman on lobbying. He um, also is the author of the book, The Business of America is Lobbying, which was released earlier this year. He's an expert on lobbying, influence, and money in politics. And today he's here to teach us whatever he can about uh, lobbying and what we can do just as an average citizen with our political and elected leaders to make sure they're at least doing some thinking. Dr. Drutman, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Teach us some more about this. I mean, one of the things I, I... I'm believing is all of these, what, 16, 17 Republican candidates, three or four Democratic candidates, so 20 or so people are trying to get elected. I'm assuming the lobbyists are already in line for who they want to win. Uh, well, they, they certainly, uh, in some ways, it doesn't really matter. Most, most companies have, uh, have, have lobbyists who are Republicans who are ready to reach out to work with a Republican president, and they have lobbyists who are Democrats who are ready to reach out to work with a, with a Democratic president. Hmm. So it's either way. They're going. Yeah. They're going to have for, some for most in. Most of the big companies uh, and most of the big uh, industry associations. I mean, certainly, certainly, some industries tend to be uh, tend to do better with, with tend to be more aligned with uh, with with certain parties. Probably, oil and gas is most closely aligned with the Republican Party. Tech is most closely aligned with the Democratic Party. But most industries have figured out a way to build relations with both parties. And I'm assuming the longer you're in D.C the more uh, in you get, whether you want to or not, you're going to go to parties with the lobbyists, you're going to end up meeting all of them. And it seems like, you know, if there's an issue on gun control and you're a Republican, there's one person to call. Uh, Well, actually, there are several gun groups. And and actually, gun lobbying is kind of an interesting issue because – Unlike a lot of uh, a lot of the, the business issues, which are are issues that involve a certain amount of of policy technical expertise, uh, gun uh, gun control is a very emotional issue, and are, are, uh, one of the reasons why the the NRA and affiliated groups have have done so well is because they have a really passionate uh, uh, group of yeah. uh, voters who who vote as single issue voters. And in order for Democrats to control uh, certain 
certain states that tend to have a high number of gun owners, they need to uh, support the the NRA's agenda. And also, uh, this is this is uh, an issue uh, gun lobbying where there's for a long time, and this may be slightly changing, although yet to yet to know for sure that there was one group on on gun lobbying. Uh, and it was the NRA, and they had a very strong position. And so every member of Congress knew you don't cross the NRA because why? Why take that chance mm. if, if there's if you're in a state with a lot of, of gun uh, gun owners, which are a, a lot of a lot of mountain uh, states, a lot of states in the West, uh, and just you just don't take that chance. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to uh, poke the dragon. Exactly. So uh, that's uh, that. That issue is is a somewhat uh, different issue. My my book is focused on on business lobbying in particular because that is about eighty percent of the of the lobbying activity, uh, and so that's what are what are some of the things we need to know? I mean, what what are some of the methods used by business lobbyists and? What what kind of pressure are our congressional folks, our senators? What pressure are they under? What are they dealing with day in day out that maybe makes uh, it a harder decision for how they'll represent their constituency? Uh, well, I think they're just dealing with limited resources and limited time, and so when it comes to to questions of of like how do you regulate the financial industry a, a lot of and also a lot of a lot of what's happened is 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 that stuff gets get they they pass on these issues because they're complicated they're contested they they don't deal with them they don't want to deal with them at all mm-hmm. and so it winds up that the status quo uh, which mostly benefits business is maintained it winds up that a lot of stuff is shunted off to the agency so the story of Dodd Frank the financial reform bill is really the story of congress not passing it, passing it in some ways a pretty decent bill, though it, may, it certainly didn't go far as a lot of people thought it, it should have gone, and a lot of a lot of provisions that that were not great. But what happened was that basically Congress delegated 400 rulemaking processes to the agencies. Now, the particularly the agency level, uh, the business advantage is, is even more apparent because this is where the technical expertise becomes even more important. So, if you take the story of one particular provision, I think uh, illustrates this nicely: a provision called the Volcker Rule, which was named for Paul Volcker, mm-hmm. uh, who a former Fed chairman, who said, "You know, the, these banks are doing all this self-dealing; they're basically getting rich." And we should make a rule uh, that limits what what he called uh, proprietary trading, uh, which is basically gambling on clients' money. Uh, so there was a provision in the Dodd Frank bill that said, you know, that, that gave a short description of it. But then it went off to to the Fed and the Treasury uh, to 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 make this rule. Okay. So the final rule, several years later, after. Goldman and J.P. Morgan and all the banks had been in day in and day out saying, "Well, you got to, you, you got to carve this thing out because this is legitimate, and this thing that we do is legitimate, and this other thing that we do is legitimate." And by the way, this other thing that we do is legitimate. So, you know how long the bill uh, the, or the the final rule wound up being started out as as a as a ten page provision in Dodd Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they got when they got done with it, it was nine hundred and fifty three pages long. Holy cow. Uh, and Janet Yellen, who now is Fed chairman, looked at it and said, there's not a bright line in here. Uh, 
yeah, it just neutralizes. It's enforceable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, give me, help me understand this, because you sit there and you, if all you do is watch like the political shows, you would see the whole healthcare, Obamacare argument, trying to push through the healthcare act and, and all of this pushing. But then at the end, it happened, and it happened with hundreds of thousands of pages probably of documentation. But in the end, it seems like then, based on all of this, then the lobbyists must have been aligned to make well, it happen. Well, certainly. Uh, so this just early. wasn't a political issue. This was businesses liking this idea, which is, I now guess, why everyone's arguing that insurers are making a lot of money on this. Yeah, the hospitals are the ones who are really making hospitals, money. Hospitals, yeah. On this, uh, and and the, the pharmaceutical and, and medical uh, manufacturers, but right, th- this is this is the real story. Is that Obama at the beginning and and said looked at the looked at the possibility, said, well, we could pass a public option, uh, might have been his preferred uh, policy even, but said. Okay, if we pass the public option, the health insurance companies are going to oppose this. The hospitals are going to hate it. The drug makers mm-hmm. are going to hate it. The medical device makers are going to hate it. If they're all aligned against this, there's no way we're going to pass it. So we cut them all in and said, look, I want to pass uh, health care reform. I want to do it in a way where you're all going to be on board. And that's what we got. Meanwhile, wow. we, we also got a very long bill because every little little subspecialty of the medical industry wanted to find their their little provision to protect what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, man, arguably, a lot of people in this country are better off because there is some health care for them and, and getting uh, uh, and making sure that insurance companies couldn't discriminate based on previous conditions was a was a big win. Uh, but the consequence of that was that you had to make sure everybody bought into the system. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you had this adverse selection problem. So that was the deal. Uh, now, it, it, do we still have a have a clunky, inefficient healthcare <laughs> system? Yeah, sure. we sure do because there were too many players who were invested in the current system and 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 had set it up so they could extract their piece of rent from it. Yeah. So you couldn't you couldn't restart it uh, in a in a way that a lot of people thought you might have been better off doing, including myself as a, as a as a as a with the public option system. Uh, but that's that's. That's the, the nature of, of the beast. Well, and it seems like it used to be the uh, media was supposed to be the fourth branch of government, and now it looks like lobbying is the fourth branch of government. If, yeah. I mean, if I were the president, I might just basically facilitate the lobbyists, the biggest, the strongest, the loudest to get what they want. I mean, aligned to my values and almost let them push on – Congress. Well, that's often actually what happens. Isn't that and, weird? And it's, and it's funny. You should say the lobbyists themselves often call themselves the fifth branch of government. Do they? Oh, so they're even going to give media still a branch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's good. I guess they need the media too, don't they? It really is. It's, it's so complicated. And what's really interesting when we want to add even more fuel to the fire, I know one of the solutions that you say maybe one of the only solutions is the, the one that most of us don't want to tolerate. To how to fix this is just adding more money. Yeah. Well, look. In some ways, if we spend more more money on Congress, we might actually get less. 
Congress also serves an oversight function, and and we spend 0.06% of of our federal budget on uh, on on Congress, right? Yeah. To oversee all the rest of it. So uh, there there are a lot of wasteful programs. There's a lot of wasteful military spending. There's a lot of just just waste in, in the government. Generally, Tom Coburn, um, you know. Uh, 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 a, a conservative Republican from Oklahoma uh, senator uh, was a big supporter of the GAO, which is a, a investigatory uh, branch of Congress, which which every year put out reports that found duplicative and wasteful programs in the in the federal bureaucracy. There was a huge return on that investment. That was investing in Congress's own capacity to to actually cut government spending. Mm. Uh, right, there are a lot of wasteful and incoherent programs in the government. But in order to 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 find those programs and to have the political will to to get rid of them, you need resources. Uh, the law of the universe is towards entropy; it's yeah. towards chaos. If if you don't, if you know, what happens if if you if you don't do anything to your kitchen, it becomes a mess. So you have to add energy to clean up your kitchen or or otherwise it spirals out of control. Well, basically our government is like a kitchen that nobody has ever cleaned up for a long time. And to think that it's going to clean up itself if you just make it smaller right. uh, is, 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 is moronic. Oh. Uh, and imagine that you could just even, – even, even if you decided to put money, give Congress more money specifically for oversight and waste – and got one group of people to just go focus on cutting the waste. Just invest it there, and it seems like that would, in and of itself, do something. Yeah, and and all the wasteful programs that lobbyists, all the all the, the giveaways to big corporations. Uh, we, we have a tax code that is three point eight million words long, <sighs> full of loopholes. That that is, by the way, six times six and a half times the length of War and Peace, and and, and not not quite the you know doesn't quite have the plot development yeah, exactly either. The uh, excitement. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, I wish we could spend more time on it. Uh, Dr. Lee Dretman, we appreciate you. Again, you're the author of the book, The Business of America is Lobbying. Folks, we got to open up our minds to this, and uh, we appreciate Dr. Dretman's insight and research. Wow. Waste, folks. And again, how do you combat money without money? But none of us want to go spend more money on Congress. We're so frustrated anyway, so... It's a hole. We're trying to dig out of a hole. Stick with us, folks. We'll give you more tools, more ideas. You know, you can still run your budget at home a lot better, can't you? We'll take a break, come back, do a quick little wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the solutions you need to have a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it, it's such an interesting dilemma that we are inherently kind of lazy and we don't necessarily think stuff through. Everybody, this isn't a government problem. But think about it. If you had a job 
and, and an outside company would for free take you to lunch, give you ideas about how to do your job, influence you, not try to run you, but just give you ideas, simplify your life a little bit, help you, grease the skids. And if you owned a company and, a, and an outside company would help you do that for free, just for a little opportunity to inform you. Wouldn't you let that happen? It's pretty common. A lot of us just don't think about the long-term effects. And once this happens and once the lobbyists are in, we're in trouble. It reminds me of um, this crazy story that came out um, just recently about some teenagers that were in an assembly. And somebody at the school said, hey, we got a great idea. You can text in your questions and they'll pop up on the screen and everyone in the assembly can see your questions or your comments. It's a brilliant idea, right? A bunch of 14-year-old students who could text their questions anonymously. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Don't let them do it. Well, in the end, this is a high school in Houston, learned the lesson that the hard way that when you invite a bunch of freshmen to send questions and comments, it would produce a deluge of obscene messages. For example, Miley Cyrus for president. Oh, come on. <laughs> Hitler was a good guy. Oh, come on. This is what's getting thrown up. Okay, hey, so what questions do you guys have? Any comments? Yeah, Hitler was a good guy. Are you kidding me? Uh, the initiative was apparently supposed to be a fun way for incoming students and administrators and faculty to get to know each other. But with other comments like vaping saved my life. Oh, come on. And someone should get fired for this idea. I mean, all, yay. All the kids are so happy. Well, it didn't work. They had the opportunity to type up a bunch of ridiculous things that were going up on the big screen, and by golly, they took it, one parent said. They are in ninth grade. What else do you think they're going to do? Use your brains. Same thing in Congress. When you have a bunch of billionaires in Congress being moved and swayed by the thinkers that are the companies that want legislation done, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Complexity? Legislation in the tens of thousands of pages that no one can read? Yes. We're perfectly aligned to get the results we're getting. we got to use our brains for heaven's sakes. Come on! We'll take a break, folks. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. When we come back next hour, more ideas, more tools, hopefully to make your life a little easier. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. That's my Oprah Winfrey uh, moment. I like to just, just like to channel Oprah every once in a while. I don't know why. This is the program, folks, where we, you know, instead of just giving you the news, we want to give you tools, insight, ideas, information for what you need to do in your life. Most of you don't need to, you know, go solve world peace issues. You don't. Most of you are just hoping to get your kids to school today without killing them. 
So we want to give you those tools, give you the ideas and the information you need. Also just help you kind of cut through some of the the information that you do receive. Um, anyway, one thing we just got to talk about, because I wasn't here yesterday when this all went down. Donald Trump and the quote about Fiorina. I mean, honestly, you can't you can't make a comment about look at that face. Is that the face of your president? And then pretend like it's about persona. And this is whatever the upteenth time that he's been able to say something and nobody holds him accountable to it. His poll numbers just keep going. But he wasn't talking according to his language. Now, either he doesn't understand that his language matters or he doesn't care. But you can't say face and then pretend like it's persona. You can't say face and and then the words, look at that face. Just look at it. And then pretend like he's talking about persona. Is that the face of a president? (sighs) Can't do it. And again, to a woman on top of the whole Megyn Kelly thing, and yet there's no backlash? Where are the women that are like, what? Are you kidding? Where are these people? I think everybody's afraid to take on Trump. Apparently, everybody except Bobby Jindal, who, you know, not doing so great in the polls. So Bobby Jindal is going to unleash the Kraken on Trump. Let's have clip number two. You know, I think it's pretty outrageous for him to be attacking anybody's appearance when he looks like he's got a squirrel sitting on his head. I think it's I think he should stop attacking other people's appearances. Oh, boy. Now, he just said we should stop attacking appearances while attacking an appearance. But you know what? We're all okay with it. Was he attacking or was he identifying the animal that has died? That's funny because Colbert was asking, is it real hair? Apparently, according to Jindal, it's squirrel. It's not even hair. It's an animal. Uh, Let's go uh, hear more from Bobby Jindal on Trump. The reality of Trump is what is crazy. He's a narcissist. He's an egomaniac. He's not a serious candidate. Interesting. When you're at the bottom of the polls, you can say this. Nobody in the the higher end of the polls, nobody's saying any of this. No. So it tells us don't trust anything that the top candidates say. Trust the bottom tier candidates. Is that what that says? That seems like bad theology or bad, you know. Well, the latest poll I saw, Trump was at 32. Mm Mm-hmm. Ben Carson at 19. Yeah. And then I think Jeb Bush was at nine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretty much everyone but Carson can say something. Now, now watch, though. But Carson but did. But Jeb won't because. Jeb won't. Well, I mean, Jeb's trying. Yeah. But again, so Jindal, shout out to Jindal. Everybody vote for Jindal. No. <laughs> Just for the next little while because we need somebody to create a, you know, a balance to Trump. Somebody's got to. Trump's even taking on Carson because Carson questions, questioned uh, if Trump is, is you know, a, a real Christian guy, a real yes. faithful person. Let's hear what he had to say um, in this clip. I don't think he's read the Bible. The reason I don't think he's read the Bible is he's not in the Bible. I don't think he reads books where he's not in them. <laughs> 
if he was in the Bible, then maybe Trump yeah. be, would be more convincing when asked about the Bible. Well, because I mean, he was asked and he said something about like he's for the Bible. Well, didn't he he's write in favor the Bible? Of that. And then there was Trump. Yeah. And Trump was in the Trump. <laughs> in the beginning, there was Trump. But but all we ever hear about is Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. Yes. And it's it's his – but the Bible's his favorite book. Never you – never, he never quotes it. Yeah. But he quotes. Well, religion always becomes a part of a person running I, 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 for president because I, I guess it goes to character. Is that what people look I at guess, it as? Yeah. It's a reflection of who they are as a person, what's their belief system. Yeah. And then Trump makes a comment about the Bible, which is not very convincing. And then he claims there's a church he goes to, and they go ask the church, and like, who's this? Well, he doesn't come here. <gasps> he doesn't attend our church. But I'm and sure so he pays like a tithe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So well, because the church would know him if he was paying the tithe. They'd be the first to know, yes. Unless he's doing it secretly, which you should do. You pay your offering secretly. Maybe that's what he's doing. It's just, But it, Trump, Trump doesn't do anything secretly. Trump is making these statements— and then people are trying to fact check, and it doesn't take long to find out that sometimes some of his statements just don't hold up. Okay, but so he's, he's called people and women, especially a lot of bad names. But then he says he, he's like starts going into this pity party, and um, you got to hear this uh, clip number twelve. Let's listen to this. When people attack me, I you know let them have it back. You say physical appearance, you know it's my hair, but people are constantly attacking my hair. I don't see you coming to my defense. My hair is just fine, but I don't see you coming to my defense. But if I say something about somebody else, yeah, should we defend his hair? Well, in fact, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And again, there's this moment, and you can see it, and anybody that just is quiet and listens, the minute somebody pushes on Trump, you can hear this thing switch, a switch that just... He goes to war. And you can sense his tone changes, and then everything he says gets a little erratic. And it's like the ship starts to like... It's like he lost his rudder. And then he eventually can rebuild the rudder, and about two minutes later, he's he's re-talking himself out of what he just said. You can hear to, it. Yeah. You can hear it every single time. Once he's pushed, and you'll watch. He'll just he'll kind of recoil for one second, then bam, he just starts hammering, and he'll start hurting, 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 hurting. So, it's just a story. I don't have sympathy for a bully, and you can't talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. But apparently, people like it because it's he's, funny. They, 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 yeah. Looking at somebody else in this situation, it seems kind of funny. Like the when he handed out Lindsey Graham's phone number, yeah, I honestly laughed. Well, that because well, I was like that. Yeah. That is in, in our in our society where you know cell phones are, are have a, a certain amount Sacred. of importance to right. people, and you just outed somebody like that. That's like a huge jerk move. That that's it. Well, I'm again, like, wow, look at that. That is a big jerk move. But I, I guess I, my big point in all of this is teach your family for heaven's sakes when you. I, I would watch that news clip and I would turn to my kids and say, don't ever, ever say something about someone's face. Ever. I teach it. Don't ever make comments about whatever he said with Megan Kelly. Yes. Don't ever. No. Ever teach that. So if we, if we would turn to our kids and not let them teach that, 
why on earth is he gaining ground? And you know why? Because he's beating up everyone. And so – and I think a lot of us just love the carnage of it all. Like, <laughs> yes, kill everybody. It's hard. Anyway, uh, we got to get to our uh, news. Let's go and do a week in review with Kathy Aiken. Find out what happened this week. Good morning, everyone. Tens of thousands of refugees looking for a new life in Europe entered Hungary on Tuesday, despite efforts by the government to stop the human wave from the Middle East, Asia and Africa. Germany has said it can take in a half million refugees a year for the next several years, but want other European nations to step up as well. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton is calling for a concerted global effort to assist the refugees, saying everyone should be asked to do more. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi also weighed in on the issue, saying yesterday the U.S. should increase the number of refugees it resettles by more than 5,000 people next year. According to the latest NBC News Marist poll, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire. The survey shows 41 percent back Sanders, 32 percent for Clinton. And a Quinnipiac poll yesterday shows Sanders with a one-point lead in Iowa. Sanders talked about why people like him. People are saying, you know, he's right. Maybe we do have to deal with income and wealth inequality. Sanders' lead is also due in part to the controversy over Clinton's private email server. According to a report out of the New York Times this week, a CIA review has found two emails Clinton received on her private server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. In an interview with ABC News Monday night, Clinton finally apologized. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, And I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. And the question still remains, will Vice President Joe Biden enter the Democratic presidential race? You got to talk to my wife about that. I've got to talk to my wife about that. That was Biden's reaction at a Pittsburgh rally Monday at a Labor Day event. Summer recess is over and Congress was back in session on Tuesday. Several key and controversial issues will be on the table this week, including votes on the Iran nuclear deal as well as talks to defund Planned Parenthood. At a rally in Washington Wednesday, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz joined forces denouncing the Iran deal as dangerous. Any commander-in-chief worthy of defending this nation should be prepared in January 2017 to look in the eyes of the Ayatollah Khamenei and say, under no circumstances does Iran, led by a theocratic Ayatollah who chants death to America, under no circumstances will Iran be allowed to acquire nuclear weapons. President Obama, however, looks to have enough Democratic support to uphold a veto on the Iran nuclear accord. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses, was released from jail after being locked up for five days. Davis was jailed last week on contempt charges. Mike Huckabee, a GOP presidential contender, joined a protest outside the jail and spoke after Davis was released. But if you have to put someone in jail, I volunteer to go. Let me go. The judge in the case has warned Davis not to interfere with others in her office who are issuing the licenses. Arizona officials are investigating another possible shooting yesterday on a Phoenix freeway. The state's Department of Public Safety said a passenger's car window was damaged when hit by an unspecified projectile on Interstate 10. 
Billboards in the area are flashing warnings to motorists. Pope Francis on Tuesday issued new rules governing annulment of marriages in the Catholic Church. The Pope wants new regulations to speed up the process for open and shut cases or annulments that are agreed on by both spouses. The new rule also removes automatic appeals. Baltimore officials agreed to pay $6.4 million in the wrongful death settlement in the death of Freddie Gray. Gray died while in police custody back in April. Yesterday, a judge ruled that the trials for the six officers accused in the case will take place in Baltimore, saying it would be nearly impossible to find a place not inundated by publicity in the case. One of the coaches from John Jay High School, where two players ran down a referee during a game last week, was placed on paid leave during an investigation of his possible involvement. Assistant coach Mac Breed allegedly told the team, quote, that guy needs to pay for cheating us, close quote. Stephen Colbert made his Late Show debut Tuesday night. Colbert's guests were George Clooney and Jeb Bush. The Late Show host beat his competition on opening night with 6.6 million viewers, about 3.6 million more than Jimmy Fallon and 4.8 million more than Jimmy Kimmel. And Queen Elizabeth became the longest-serving monarch in her nation's history this week. She surpassed Queen Victoria, her great-great-grandmother's reign of 63 years, 7 months, 2 days, and 23 minutes to be exact. With the weekend review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Well done, Kathy. Man, busy, busy week. Uh, we're going to take a break now when we come back. Have you ever been looking for the trick, the trick to creating an exercise ritual where you can exercise regularly? Well, joining us in just a few minutes, uh, Allison Phillips will be here. And she's going to be talking about some of the research that she's been doing at Iowa State University to help us uh, create an instigation habit, a habit that actually will lead to you exercising. Stick with us, folks. This may be what you need to hear. Learning uh, the art of creating an exercise habit. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, there's always been a lot of hype uh, about being more health conscious, losing and maintaining our weight. But we all know what it feels like to finally get motivated and get off the couch and go to the gym, only to come back and crash. And, you know, you started your habit, it lasted a day, and it was over. Second day, many times, is so much harder than the first day to exercise. So what is the trick to exercising regularly? We always end up talking about what we need to do, but maybe more importantly is how do we get it started? How do we create a habit that we that will drive us to actually do um, our exercise routine regularly? That's the key, folks. Allison Phillips, assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Iowa State University, suggests that the key to exercising frequently may be what's called an instigation habit. She's here on the phone with us to... Uh, help us understand a little bit more about her research and to teach us about this instigation habit. Dr. Allison Phillips, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to have you on the show and excited to learn about this. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, what is this idea of an instigation habit, and then I'd love to hear about the research you're performing. Sure. Well, I'd like to give you a, a little bit of um, background to explain um, why I did the study in the first yeah, place. Please. And that might help. Uh, that might help describe what an instigation habit is. Uh, so I, I started researching 
a different behavior, medication adherence in, um, in a population of individuals who are, um, have chronic illness. And if you think about taking a pill in the morning or evening, you know, at a particular time of day, mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple behavior and it can be very habitual. And so we know now from uh, my research and others that if people have a strong habit for taking their medication at a same time of day, um, they're very adherent. And I became interested more in physical activity because it's just as important, if not more important, for preventing chronic illness, but also managing existing chronic illness. Uh, But the question came up, you know, what is an exercise habit? How can it possibly be this purely non-conscious behavior that you just do automatically without even thinking about it? It's not so simple because by definition, it requires time and, and effort to be physically active. So I became interested in defining what do we mean by exercise habit. And so the study that um, you were just referencing that we can talk about um, was an attempt to identify what part of exercising should be habitual in order to promote you know, this long-term adherence or maintenance to exercise. And we discovered that it's this instigation habit. So it's deciding to go exercise or deciding to start exercising. Um, If that's habitual, then people um, exercise frequently and Mm. they maintain that over time. Um, And that's compared to executing exercise, which is the particular actions you engage in once you've started exercising. And if people did that habitually... Um, for example, doing the same exercises every time they go to the gym, that didn't really relate to exercise frequency or behavior oh, at interesting. all. Yeah. So really the key is just just like it is taking the pill, you just have to have something that you, the habit needs to be formed on the initiation, on doing it. That's right. Mm-hmm, that's correct. Not Not on how you do it, how much you do it, and everything else, just... And so, like with a, you know, maybe somebody always takes the pill, their pills with their breakfast. Um, what what did you learn about what makes a healthy or a strong instigation habit? Well, we weren't um, really assessing particular cues. Um, that's still a research question uh, we're looking into. Uh, so it was really how people, you know the strength of their own habits. They were telling me how habitual they were Hmm. in deciding to go exercise. Um, But then, you know, I asked them an open-ended question, what kinds of cues trigger your exercise habit or this instigation habit? And most often, as you can imagine, people choose things where it fits naturally into their daily schedule. So if you work nine to five, you only have so many options of when you can exercise. So people who do have successful habits tend to do it in the morning before work, uh, at lunch, or after work. Um, So the cues can range. Um, It could be your alarm clock going off. Uh, Some people report that. It could be packing up at the office at the end of the day and heading out to your car, and you you get this automatic urge or uh, cue to head to the gym and go exercise. Um, so it, it depends on the person, but um, it's typically structured around when people can find the time. And it's, I guess, in, in the end, too, it's, so it's very personal, right, to us. And, um, but you're, you're saying of everything that we're doing for our exercise, 
uh, rituals or habits, it's probably better to – if we want to actually create a habit, focus our our attention and our energy on figuring out the intro, the, the driver. Uh, that's correct. So this research was – Unfortunately, it's it's not really giving us a, a good trick, or it's yeah. certainly not the solution. It's preliminary in that it's it just helped us identify which part of exercise should we be aiming for to be habitual. Um, so there are techniques out there that maybe a, a personal trainer might use or uh, some other practitioner where they suggest you do exactly the same exercise routine every time you do it. And it's possible that that helps people develop an instigation habit, um, but the research we just did shows that you can vary your routine um, once you have an instigation habit and you don't, without having to worry about derailing your your exercise behavior. So you can have an instigation habit and you can um, try new things. You can, you know, uh, vary your exercise, your particular routine and, and not threaten your overall behavior. Yeah. Um, Do you sense so this work question, on everything? I assume, right? This this could be on any habit. Uh, if it, if it if it works with taking our pills in the morning and it works as the as a key part of any health habit, I guess really just an instigating habit would be a key to probably a lot of success. That's right. Um, yes, I would agree. So they, we do have some research out there um, by my my collaborator on this project. His name is Benjamin Gardner, and he's done some other research looking into how do we actually set those cues in the first place. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, more relevant to helping people start those habits. The easy part is maintaining a habit. It's starting the habit that's the hard part. Oh, um, so true. Yeah, so what we do know is um, pick a stable stable context. So when you're starting out, pick a particular time of day um, after you're doing something um, in, uh, that's already part of your daily routine um, to start a new habit so that you're, you're doing it in the same time of day after the same kind of context cues, and that will help you develop the cues. But also pick something that you find more intrinsically rewarding, we say, so mm. more enjoyable. Um, not everybody likes exercising, especially if you don't have a habit. Um, so as much as possible, pick an activity that you like. So if it's just walking, that's a good place to start. Walking outside, people often like, um, or exercising with a friend or a group fitness class. Something that you find more enjoyable will help you uh, develop those instigation cues faster. At least that's what the evidence suggests. Oh, man. I mean, it really, it seems basic, but it also, uh, you know, it's easier to have a habit if you've already got habits. I, I just find it. I always uh, used to forget my the key that would get me into the building, and I finally just decided to make it a habit. I, I always end up getting stopped at a light on the way here. And um, it's like 97% of the time I'm stopped at this light. And I just made it a habit. Every time I pass through that light, I reach in and grab my key. And it, But it was already part of it. And now I can't go through that intersection ever without thinking about getting the key to come in. Um, again, we're speaking with Dr. Allison Phillips. She's helping us understand about how you make habits, but, but more importantly about how you create healthy rec- exercising uh, habits and, and the power of an instigation habit. Um, we'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Dr. Allison Phillips. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, everybody. You know, if you're having a hard time getting motivated, you could listen to Olivia Newton-John singing Let's Get Physical. You could put on your leg warmers, puff up your hair, and just start dancing. That's one way to do it. And by the way, that could be a cue to get working out. Uh, Joining us on the phone is Dr. Allison Phillips, who has been researching this uh, idea of uh, from the Department of Psychology at Iowa State University about really what is the key to exercising frequently and creating a uh, kind of a habitual pattern of exercising. And today she joins us. She's been talking about uh, a lot of her uh, the, the learnings that we're coming out with and that she's come out with are simply um, it, if you're going to focus. It may not matter what you're necessarily doing to create the habit. It may not matter um, actually the activities you're doing. You can you can rotate those activities. It may not matter who you're doing it with. What may matter most of all is if you create an instigation habit, something that uh, – a cue, something that drives you consistently to start the habit of exercising, which is really, I think – positive information because once we can create the cue, something that naturally gets us to go want to do it, then you can mix up your routine. You don't always have to do the exact same thing. You can try new things. So Dr. Allison Phillips, uh, thank you for coming to the show and or being on the show. And you were teaching us before the break about how to set up an instigation habit or some of these cues that work. And one of them was simply an idea of pick a stable context, something that's already part of our routine. Another idea you brought up was to um, make sure whatever you're doing is intrinsically motivating, interesting for you. Are there any other keys to making sure that we can can actually get the cue that generates the habit? Uh, I, I think that there are. So these are ongoing hypotheses. Uh, one of the reasons why I suggested a stable context yeah. for engaging in new exercise is that you know, exercise takes time and planning, so it, it would help people to fit it into their daily routines um, and then in that way decrease some of the barriers we know people experience to starting new habits, which are you know, time or access yeah. um, or energy. So, but I think that some stronger cues might be what I call internal cues. These might be um, emotions or or some other kind of trigger. And you were maybe joking, but I think it's a good example, the uh, music, Olivia Newton-John, Let's Get Physical. So it's possible um, listeners have experienced this, but if you listen to the same uh, workout songs when you're exercising, um, if they've, you know, actually tried this at the gym, and then you hear those songs outside of the gym, you feel the urge to start huh. moving. Yeah. Like your body is triggered. It's like, hey, you should be exercising. So just by repeating exercise, listening to that music, the music can become a cue. Oh, yeah. Um, and so in similar ways, other things could become a cue. For example, I think stress might be a very effective internal cue if people learn or experience that, hey, if I go for a walk when I'm stressed, my stress decreases, well, then they that experience of stress could become a cue for them to go for a walk. And um, hopefully people aren't so stressed on a regular basis. You might want to also build it into your regular routine, but um, that's just an example of, of other cues that might work. You know, um, I, I've, I've actually felt that here. A lot of times I will, after the show, go on a walk and listen to uh, – 
to either my show again so it helps me feel like I'm getting learning from how I go about doing my show or I also prepare for my next show and because I've noticed that it helps me de-stress. Going on the walk helps me de-stress from the show I just did but it, uh, there's something that feels so good about knowing I'm also getting prepared for tomorrow that de-stresses me as well. And in, in the interesting thing is simultaneously I'm getting physical benefit but really a lot of it is to get rid of the stress. Yeah, that's a great example because some of the benefit you get from your walk is not just from the walk itself, right. but how it, it functions in your life to help you learn and to become prepared for the next day. So that's a really great example. And it works. It, it works for me, too, because I don't – just sitting there in my office listening is different than me listening in movement and activity. I mean, it actually – I retain it better. Yeah, and I'll give you my own example. I haven't studied this, um, you know, in participants, so it's I'm just giving you kind of an anecdotal example of my own. But um, I have a habit of instigating exercise, or I go exercise before dinner mm. most days. Um, and so that's not a good example of a cue. It's just if I don't exercise um, before dinner, I feel unsettled. I, I don't feel quite ready to relax at the end of the day and, and enjoy my dinner. I feel yeah. like I, you know, something's missing. And that's um, evidence that I, I have a habit. And, and so if people can set it up somehow that they, they miss the exercise, if they don't do it, then they're going to be highly likely to, to pick it up and to, to stick with it. It seems um, powerful too, like you said, by attaching it to an internal cue it allows you to become more attentive and mindful of your own internal drive. And, and so like, like yeah. you knowing that about dinner, is it's really important because otherwise you could just be unsettled. Well, why am I unsettled about dinner? But you actually can tie it to, well, I haven't done my exercise yet. It's so powerful, I think, the more attuned we are to our own emotion. It's a I perfect driver. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also important because – if you tie a behavior to only an external cue or an external context, well, what happens when you leave that context? Mm. If you move somewhere or if you, have a, if you go through a life transition, we know people stop being physically active when they change, you know, um, change jobs or move locations or go from um, college to the workforce or into retirement or if they have kids. So the context is always changing in life, but we still want people to be physically active. So internal cues have a better chance of staying with you through through life. So yeah. That's another reason why I'd like to focus some research on how do we develop those internal cues in a, in a positive way. Yeah. I, I, boy, is this – I mean it seems like a no-brainer, but it also seems like it's always easier to hang it on the external I mean, maybe, maybe that's a great way to start, you know, do it during your lunch break because it's always at the same time. But no matter what, however you started the, the ritual or the habit, maybe you could always eventually move it to an internal driver. That's a very good plan. I hope to do that. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? And I guess that's the problem is um, we're not always as intuitive, are we? <laughs> no, and um, you're highlighting what I think is potentially the most important factor in long-term exercise maintenance, and that's self-identification as an exerciser. So seeing yourself as somebody who is physically active, who's capable of being physically active, and 
to whom it's important to be mm. physically active, um, but how we actually get people to self-identify as an exerciser is a is an ongoing question. Um, but yeah, that's interesting because you could work out every day and still not identify yourself as healthy or as an exerciser, as somebody that's physically active. You know, even though I'm walking every day, but I'm like, ah, but I'm not fit. Yeah. Right. That's possible. Um, and I just don't know how people would answer. I hypothesize that if you do something regularly enough, it becomes part of your identity. Yeah. So, um, things we do every day, we, we see ourselves in that light, um, especially if it takes a significant amount of time and energy. But people who don't exercise, they they see themselves as non-exercisers. They feel like they're imposters when they go to the gym. Yeah. And that's a, a big obstacle to overcome, I think. Well, and, and to some people, it seems like just I'm more of, I guess, an introvert. Um, and so the idea of going to a gym for me, I'd rather die. <laughs> and at this rate, I may. But I'd rather I'd rather just go. I, I don't know. I'm kind of like the dog that's injured that just kind of goes away to die. Um, I, I'd rather do it by myself in my own gym at my own house. So I wonder sometimes how I might identify is if other people are always saying, man, I saw you walking or you're looking great. And it's maybe sometimes it's other people reflecting what they see you being. And if some of us are away hiding it away, um, I wonder if that impacts us. Yeah. It's an it's an interesting you've got an interesting problem to solve, Allison. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I think it's a a common problem that we all have. It really is. I'm trying to actually research it. Does it end? I mean, like, where do we, when we do this, and I guess if I got really good at just the habit making and the cues and the instigation point, I could use it everywhere, right? This would help me remember my keys. This could help me with a lot of things. That's true. Um, It's possible some people are just better at setting new habits. Um, There are probably individual differences in in ability to do so, but uh, theoretically, yes, if you figure out how to to develop a new habit, you could translate it to any any kind of behavior. Wow. As we wrap up, what uh, what advice would you give all of us? If there's kind of one thing we should take away from your research and, and just your knowledge about this, what should we walk away remembering and maybe being motivated to go try? I would like people to remember that even though um, exercise habits are by definition automatic and, and easy to easy to maintain, it's never easy to develop an exercise routine. And so um, even if you do it right and you do it the most efficient way possible at getting this instigation habit, it, it's a tough road. It's a, um, we don't have a good time estimate, but it's at least a month of repeating the behavior um, enough so that you can build up this instigation yeah. habit. So, so we shouldn't assume it's going to be easy or natural even. That's, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so it's still tough, and I think people will, um, will see the truth of that. Um, everyone knows it's tough. Uh, the point is doing it enough uh, so that it becomes more efficient and easier and habitual, and then it becomes part of your life. Um, so it's not easy, but it's no. important. Beautiful. Appreciate it. Dr. Allison Phillips. 
assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Iowa State University. You can read more about her research and work by searching her article um, on news.iastate.edu or by visiting a website, healthyhabitslab.org. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a little Coach's Corner after the break. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, there are a lot of different ways that you can, um, you know, make a habit, a healthy habit. One way, uh, you know, to not eat Doritos, well, I guess get arrested for battery because of it. According to some uh, a police report from Florida, a Florida man is now jailed on felony charges after battery with his live-in girlfriend during a 4 a.m. argument about eating Doritos. You're a monster! (laughs) Apparently she said, you are a monster. (laughs) And um, when you think about it, yeah. If I I had to have a fight at 4 a.m. for eating my Doritos, I probably wouldn't do it. Especially if you found out later it was going to cost you six months in jail and you'd be placed on probation for two years. Did he get to keep the Doritos? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got to keep, take his bag of Doritos in the backseat of the police car. Matthew uh, Koppenbarger, 26, was arrested early yesterday following a confrontation with Paula Griffiths in the couple's Clearwater apartment. By the way, another story making Florida look not so healthy. Always Florida. I don't know why that is. Uh, I don't even want to know. Don't even, don't even speculate. You'll end up talking like Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, the, the pair the pair was apparently arguing over uh, the, his eating of Doritos. Like, they're just loud, I guess. Well, the, the key element of the story that's not shared is what type of Doritos. Well, they're ranch. If they were, sure. if they were nacho cheese, then yeah. Well, I, I, you know, let it go, I guess. No big deal. But if it's maybe the salsa verde. Yeah. Or the roulette. Those are good. No, the roulette, that kills people. Um, Hence the battery charges. Every third chip (laughs) stops your heart. Let's go. That is so, yeah. Let's see if this one kills you. See, but if he had just done the roulette chips, he wouldn't have needed to have the battery call. Because my wife is offended by the Cool Ranch. Why? The, The smell, it's a little bit strong. Oh, but it's from heaven. I love them. You can't just have one. No. Cool ranch. That's I, I get it once a year, and I plow through the bag, and I feel shame, <laughs> and <laughs> recall it a day. Uh, I'd be in trouble because if if I was living your life, yes. Because after the show, you go home, you have your boy, you take care of your boy. But I'd put my boy to a nap, and then yep. I just eat my cool ranch. No, just you can't have him in the house. <laughs> So- soggy Doritos, apparently. These are not Doritos. <laughs> By the way, does this sound more ple- ple- you know, pleasing than the Dorito crunch, crunch, crunch sound? Would you rather have crunching or this? Crunch. appreciate, by the way, Ben uh, taking some audio from lunch yesterday. That was gross. Yeah, I, I did that. That was all from me. What were so. you eating, by the way? Um, 
eggplant. Yes. <laughs> well, that, like some eggplant. That that was part of it, but it was spam. Yeah, it was spam. It was spam and eggplant. Oh, it was gross. <laughs> That's nasty. Yeah. Well, the guy's going to jail. Six months. Doritos. What What are you in here for? Did, did you Did you you know shoot somebody? No, no, no. I was just eating Doritos. I was eating Doritos. Man, my wife got in a fight with the old woman. She's She's got such an attitude. Anyway, here's a few other ideas that might help you. You know, make a habit. Do stuff you enjoy. You can get a habit of anything if you enjoy it. I like my walks, and I actually get a lot of enjoyment. A, it de-stresses me, but B, it I can listen to a podcast or I can listen to something, and by the time I'm back, I feel like I've learned a lot. That's why I was going to tell you, you need to send me – you need to give me more audio to listen to. More audio? Yeah, more podcasts. For the shows. I always get a big list of articles to read. They're just hard to read while you're walking. You can. Your don't phone, get me wrong. But your I almost phone's got bobbing hit. around. Yeah. I almost yeah. got hit by a, two or three cars yesterday. If it was campus, you got almost hit by a golf cart. It's hard, too, on campus because there's so many people here. Man, yeah. this school was so much better in the summer. Yeah. When everyone's out of school, yeah. just go ahead. Walk you wherever you want. You can do anything. Now you're just getting accosted left and right. Now there's cops everywhere. Uh, by the way, I was walking through the center of campus, and I heard my name yelled, being yelled. Whoa. Hey, is that Matt Townsend? I want your autograph. Guess who it was? Kaylee? No, Kimberly Danes from our show. Oh, right. She's our producer. I would guess it was her. Kimberly, wonderful little Kimberly. And then, interestingly, some lady came up and knew me, and I'm like, see, people know me. And, and uh, Kanye Danes said... Um, man, you are well known. You're you're a, you're a thing. I'm a thing. You're on the the internet and stuff. Nobody knows me. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> but um, Kanye, she was just being rude, and made a scene. By the way, yeah, she's kind of that way. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, another habit. Another way to make a habit: do something you love. Another way: do something that's easy and do it early. Now, get your, just get it over with. Just get it over with. Yeah, and, make and it the first easy, thing on your list. Just do it. Yeah. Get the, get it done. And then one victory. Like if I exercise early, then I eat better the rest of the day because I've already – and I, you got to count your calories because when you count your calories of exercise, I always ask – that was 400, 400 uh, calories I burned. Is this worth – is it worth that one Twinkie? And usually the answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) I worked out. I get a reward. Yeah. Sponge cake. That's my simple motivation. One mile, one Twinkie. Two miles, two Twinkies. That works. My wife's like, how many miles did you run today? I'm like, three Twinkies. (laughs) You ran three Twinkies today? Yep. Three Twinkies and a ding dong. (laughs) What's the ding dong? Did some workouts with some weights. No big deal. Tomorrow, I'm going to have my long run. Eight Twinkies. Eight Twinkies in a Snickers bar. <laughs> this show brought to you by Twinkie, Hostess, and uh, what is it? Hostess, Twinkies, and uh, Snickers. Not really. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Done. We got to hurry. We got one more hour. Then I'm going to go do a three Twinkie walk. Might even pick up some cinnamon bears covered in chocolate. Yummy, yummy. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back after the break. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, your life coach. Everybody needs one. You know, we land here on this crazy thing called Earth, and then all of a sudden, we are supposed to figure out what's going on. Well, this show, we're here to give you the tools, the information, the ideas, solutions you need to grow a healthier, happier life. By the way, today is Patriot Day as we uh, honor the lives of those 2,977 souls that died. They passed away, folks. Um, Remember that day on 9-11? Oh, the memories that all of us have on that because of that fateful day. Uh, and just think of how our life has changed since and the terrorism that we've been experiencing and the wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Lots of, uh, lots of crazy changes since back in the day. Patriot Day, celebrating patriots today. Another, a couple of other days, no news is good news day, which is the basic belief that you don't have to just listen to all of the 24-hour cycle of news, sometimes just turning off the TV or the radio, unhooking from the web, cancel your newspapers, turn off your phones. You don't have to chase every scandal, every tragedy, every disaster. You don't have to. Turn it all off. No news is good news day. And finally, today is also make your bed day. Make your bed, not confused with, aw, mom, do I have to do it day? But apparently uh, there is a day celebrating the benefits to your mental health of tidying up and making your bed every single day. You know, it makes you feel better. You go to bed the night, the next day and or that night and you're like, oh, see, I'm so glad I made my bed this morning. Psychologically, you're better. Your house looks cleaner and tidier, except... That might be all great and good for your psychology, but what about your physiology? According to some other researchers, they claim it's better not to make your bed. (laughs) The kids love it, folks. This just out. The reason that you need to maybe not make your bed? Because of the mighty house dust mite. What was that? Was that a dust mite? It was a mighty dust mite. Did you like mic it up? You mic'd up a dust mite and that's what they sound like? What does it sound like again? Sounds disgusting. These microscopic little uh, buggers are running rampant in your bed. Sorry, I know it's true, but uh, you got to deal with the fact. The average bed can be the home of 1.5 million dust mites. (laughs) The dust mites feed on human skin cells. Ew. And uh, they take up residence under your sheets, and then they produce the allergens, right, uh, That which is basically the, uh, you know, once they've eaten your skin, they leave droppings. Ugh. And those droppings can become allergens, which are easily inhaled during sleep and are the major cause of illnesses like asthma. They don't exactly help uh, with dust allergies either, by the way. It only makes sense, though, that these crazy little uh, mites that are in our bed, they like your bed, right? They also like the moisture 
from your body. So they need your skin cells and the moisture in your body, like the sweat that might – and just the condensation, I guess. I don't know what it is that comes off of your body. Then in the morning, all you tidy tight that just go – you people that are just so tidy and clean, you make your bed sealing in all of that moisture and the skin and the dust mites where they have a nice little incubator to just keep creating more allergens. (laughs) So according to Dr. Stephen Pretlove of Kingston University's School of Architecture, uh, he claims that something as simple as leaving a bed unmade during the day can remove the moisture from the sheets and the mattress so the mites will dehydrate and eventually die. Which once again pleases the children. So not only do you not need to make your bed, what you can just now tell your wife when you're like, "Hun, I don't think we should make the bed. Oh, you are so lazy. No, 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 no. I'm trying to not trap moisture so that we don't have bed mites just growing and reproducing in our bed. I'm trying to save you, babe. So let's just not make the bed. Let's just leave it so that it can dry out. Which, by the way, If you've ever checked a college student's dorm room, they don't even use sheets, which is why it's so much easier to make the bed. Hey, don't you need to make the bed? Yeah, there it is. It's done made. Anyway, great news for all of you that are keeping score. We do not, I repeat, do not need to make your bed. The children celebrate another good day. Another good day for all of us. Take that home to your wife. See how that goes. I'm going to bet. I'm going to bet it'll start a fight. Hey, let's uh, go to a week in review with Kathy Aiken. Find out all about the week. Good morning, everyone. The summer recess ended Tuesday with Congress back in session. Two key issues were on the table, including the Iran nuclear deal and talks to defund Planned Parenthood. GOP presidential contenders Donald Trump and Ted Cruz appeared at a rally against the nuclear accord Wednesday in Washington. That deal will be totally renegotiated or worse. They have suckered us. They have taken advantage of stupid people, stupid representatives, people that are incompetent, whether it's Kerry or our president. Despite polls showing the vast majority of Americans against the nuclear deal, President Obama has secured enough Democratic support to sustain a veto. A report out Tuesday said two emails Hillary Clinton received on her private email server were top secret at the time. Sending classified secrets to non-secure accounts outside the government is illegal. On Tuesday, Clinton finally apologized for the server and the controversy it has caused. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, And I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. Clinton's poll numbers continue to drop. According to a poll this week from NBC News, Bernie Sanders has opened up a nine-point lead over Clinton in New Hampshire. Meanwhile, a Quinnipiac poll yesterday shows Sanders with 41 percent in Iowa to Clinton's 40 percent. In a Rolling Stone magazine interview, Donald Trump insulted Carly Fiorina when he said, quote, Look at that face. Would anyone vote for that? Close quote. 
Trump later said he was talking about Fiorina's persona. Meanwhile, when asked about his comments, Fiorina told Megyn Kelly of Fox News she must be getting under Trump's skin since she's climbing in the polls. Meanwhile, GOP presidential contender Bobby Jindal was at the National Press Club in Washington yesterday calling Trump unstable, a narcissist, unserious, and a carnival act. Another incident on an Arizona freeway has officials scrambling to find some answers. Officials say a passenger's car window was damaged by an unspecified projectile yesterday morning. There have been at least 10 other confirmed shootings in the last two weeks. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses, was released from jail Wednesday after spending five days behind bars. Republican presidential nominee Mike Huckabee was there to greet her. But if you have to put someone in jail... I volunteer to go. Let me go. Davis's attorney said his client could be back at work today or early next week. The judge in the case said Davis cannot interfere with her deputies issuing same-sex marriage licenses or she could be back behind bars. Germany's Vice Chancellor Sigmar Gabriel said his country could take in a half million refugees annually for the next several years. An estimated 20,000 refugees entered Germany via Hungary this past weekend alone. Gabriel, however, is demanding other European countries accept the refugees so his country doesn't have to take in the majority of those looking for a better life. Several hundred police officers from around the country attended the funeral of Joe Glenowitz, the officer killed while chasing three suspects on foot. Officer Nicholas Garcia talked about the fallen deputy. Joe was a great husband, an awesome dad, a mentor to the police officers of tomorrow, and a friend to many. The manhunt continues for the three suspects. Two Texas high school football players were suspended from school after charging after a referee and knocking him to the ground during a game last Friday night. Police say they're investigating the incident. Here's criminal defense attorney James Reeve. The problem in this case is the helmets could arguably uh, be considered a weapon. If the helmet's considered a weapon, that will make it a felony in this case. The players from John Jay High School were immediately ejected from the game, and one of the team's assistant coaches has been suspended with pay while an investigation looks into whether or not he had any involvement. Serena Williams beat her sister Venus in the U.S. Open quarterfinals. When I'm playing her, I don't think of her as my sister because she's playing well. She's He's hitting so many big serves and running a lot of balls down. So when you're in the moment, you don't really think about it. We trained all our lives to be on this court and to play in front of you guys, and for us, it's a, it's a real great honor. Serena is looking to become the fourth woman to win the Grand Slam of Tennis with a win at the U.S. Open. Vicki Gardner, the woman who was being interviewed by Allison Parker during a live interview in Virginia on August 26th, was released from the hospital this week. Parker and her cameraman Adam Ward were shot and killed during the live shot. Gardner was also shot and rushed into surgery. And Pope Francis issued new rules this week governing annulment of marriages in the Catholic Church. The Pope wants new regulations to speed up the process for open and shut cases or annulments requested by both spouses. The new rule also removes automatic appeals. With the Week in Review, I'm Kathy Aiken. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, appreciate Kathy there and uh, her great Week in Review. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a break, come back, and be joined by Rod Gustafson who is from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. We're going to be uh, reviewing a few movies and some new releases on DVD, trying to give you the tools as a parent to make sure that you are, you know, doing what you need to do, making sure that your kids just aren't all of a sudden watching TV and or uh, movies that they shouldn't be seeing. 
There's always those little surprises. So Rod will be with us in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com, one of our uh, favorite segments where we take Rod, an expert film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective, and we let him talk about some of the new releases and the the releases on DVD and, and, and in the movie theaters. Rod, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Great to have you here. What uh, Now, there it has been... Like a desert in the movie world over the last two or three weeks. Not a lot of releases right now. No, but it, we're at we're just at the point where things are going to finally start picking up, which is really good news because I think there's there's pent up demand waiting yeah. to uh, waiting to go see movies. I think so too. Yeah. So all the fall movies, I guess, will start to come out. What movie do you want to review today? Well, we have we do have a new one in theaters today. We actually have a, there's about three new ones in theaters, but only one of them had a media screening that was in our market. So let's talk about that. It's a horror movie called The Visit, Ooh. and this is made by M Night Shyamalan. And everybody, if you if you know him at all, you immediately think of some of those great movies he made near the beginning of his career. The Sixth Sense mm-hmm. being the the biggest one. I think that that's. Really really what he put his career on the map. And, you know, I kind of feel for this guy, Matt. He is, if you just put him in a pool of all the other directors making uh, horror movies, he would still hold up very well. But the problem was, was he started this kind of a gimmick where he had, he had this incredible twist where, you know, a partway through the movie, suddenly the big reveal happens and everybody's blown away and you go, oh, wow. And, we have come to expect that from him to the point where if he doesn't do it just right, there's that big letdown. So having said that, keep that in mind as I blow apart the visit. Because oh, no. Is it not really, so good? Well, it still is a pretty solid movie by horror movie standards, and especially when I compare it to many of the others that that come through the theater over the year. But it, it does have some issues, and it definitely has some issues from, for families considering about maybe their teens going to see this movie. This is basically a, a, a twist on Hansel and Gretel. It's about two kids, a, uh, a girl, she's about 13, 14 years old, and her younger brother who are going to their grandparents' house for a week while their mom goes on a much-needed vacation. But here's the issue. Her mo- their mother has been estranged from her parents, of course, the kids' grandparents, for 15 years, and these kids have never even met their grandparents. And so it, they really have no idea what to expect. So they get out, they hop on the train, and they travel into the countryside, and they, their grandparents pick them up, and everything is going so well, and they're hitting it off just great. They have this beautiful old farmhouse on a big piece of land out in the country. But then things start getting a little bit creepy one night. They, the grandfather tells the kids that they should stay in their room after 9.30. Bedtime mm-hmm. is 9.30, and don't get up no matter what. Well, of course, they start hearing all these creepy, weird right. sounds. 
and they just can't avoid peeking out the door to see what's going on. And Grandma is running around um, and in kind of a bit of a mental illness fit, and and which of course looks really scary in the yeah. movie. And one scene, she's vomiting on the floor. Oh. And in another scene, she's stark naked. We oh. see that from the rear. And so, of course, these are absolutely horrifying moments for these two kids, and they're made to be very horrifying to us as well. And, uh, and they also discover that Grandpa is, uh, is storing something very peculiar out in the shed. And so the little boy goes to investigate, and he discovers a, a big stack of, of soiled adult diapers. Well, the mother, the grandma, explains, well, grandpa has an incontinence problem. Grandpa explains that grandma has a, a, a bit of a schizophrenia, mental illness thing going on. So they're trying to reassure these kids, but of course, as the week goes on, it just gets worse and worse. Mm. Mm, why, why, why would we want to see this, Rod? <laughs> I mean, I, I get the kids love to be scared. I mean, I guess that's the point. But yeah, wow. You know, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Matt. There are a handful of horror movies that I have seen where I feel like that was a good scare. Yeah. I really and in a strange way, I enjoyed it. And I have respect for the genre in that regard. In that regard, but those movies are really few and far between. Right. And unfortunately, this one does fall short. I mean, first of all, you know, I like Grandma and Grandpa. I, I, I feel like, gee, you know, if if you send a little kid to this, especially you know the under ten crowd, which really shouldn't go to this movie, it can really give them some bad ideas about mental illness yeah. in elderly people, you know, and that's not good. And maybe even teenagers might come away with that idea as well. But the other problem I have with this movie, Matt, is it crosses a fine line. Of course, these two young people are going to be scared in this movie, and they are kind of the audience proxy, if you will, because we see it very much through their eyes because, in fact, the teenage girl, she wanted to record this visit to her grandparents and create a documentary of it. So she has a camera and she gives another camera to her younger brother and we see almost everything through the perspective of these two cameras as if they're recording this documentary. And at one point, it crosses the line of having these children being scared to having them being abused. And to me, that wasn't entertaining. That's where the entertainment train went off the track. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's, those are two of the problems uh, that we have with this film. Did it get a grade? What, what did you grade it? So C- minus on this one. And, uh, you know, it, it, as far as, again, as far as other horror movies go, the violence isn't particularly... In fact, there is no explicit violence in this film. We do see a couple of dead corpses, um, and there certainly are moments of, of peril and fear, but not outright slasher violence. There's none of that in here. Even the language is somewhat limited, although we still have that usual sexual expletive, which is why our profanity grade is down at a B plus. But you know, content wise, there's not really this one isn't overflowing, but it does have some messages that really would concern sure. me. At having my children go to see this. Maybe film. this is the weekend, Rod, where we just watch a movie. Anything coming out on DVD and we just do it at home. Well, there is good news there. We have a great one coming out on DVD, a movie that I really enjoyed. Now, older teens may enjoy this, but the younger kids, they're going to be bored because, oh, this is a romance. We don't want to watch this. <laughs> right. But it's called The Age of Adeline, and it really is a pleasant, wonderful romance. 
And I think the guys might like this a little bit, too, because it's got a little bit of a science fiction twist to it. This is about a woman who back in the, uh, oh, I think it's the late 1920s, early 1930s, she's in a car accident when she's 29 years old. And a strange thing happens. She goes off the road and she is about to die because she's underwater and a bolt of lightning hits the car and hits her and resuscitates her and brought back to life. Yeah, yeah. big moment. But then as the years go past, something strange starts to happen. Adeline never ages. And after about 10 years, 20 years, people start commenting on this. And finally, it gets to the point that even the government starts coming after her in the late 1950s when there's all this paranoia about, you know, communism and everything else. Well, the government starts looking for her. And so she she goes into hiding and starts living a very reclusive existence. But what's interesting is her one daughter is starting to age and she becomes an elderly woman and her mother's still 29 years old. Oh, wow. This movie is cool. really cool because I think all of us, Matt, would be very tempted to take the, immor- the immortality pill if it was available. Right, you know, sure. I'd never have to face death. I think this movie really says some interesting things, though, about the blessings of mortality that ends. Because some of the things that you w- it really left, left me thinking about, what would I do if suddenly you know, I knew I wasn't going to yeah. die? And that part of it I really enjoyed. What a powerful contrast between the two. So eight, that's The Age of Adeline out on DVD. Man, Rod Gustafson, we appreciate you and the great work you're doing there at parentpreviews.com. And uh, everybody, go look at the website, start searching through it, know that they're going to be lining up a whole new slew of movies will be coming out soon, and Rod will keep his great work up there. Rod, thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Matt. You bet. We're going to take a break, come back, and be uh, doing a little bit of the Meet the Millennials, or Matt versus the Millennials, and meet some of our producers. Caitlin and Liana will be trying to stump me and uh, having some fun with the producers that help put this show together. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. One of those magical moments when Matt versus the Millennials, we like to bring in the producers of the show, which all are Millennials. It's the greatest group of humans you've ever seen. Right now, some are dancing, uh, making the rest of us feel quite awkward. Uh, but Caitlin Thomas is joining us. Liana Tan is here, and we're talking Millennials, Matt versus the Millennials. This is where the producers, my producers, come in, and you teach me. Or you challenge me, you do whatever you want to do. So what are we going to do? Well, we've actually come here to defend ourselves. Oh, my Because, heavens. you know, I was um, just browsing the web, you know, like yeah, millennials web. do. The interweb. And, the World you. Wide Web. <laughs> uh, and I come across this article on themuse.com. Yes. Called What Millennials Really Need, and it's by Jeremy Bodenay. Isn't it what millennials need are their parents to give them lots of feedback? Um. Well, you would think because what are you, uh, Generation X? I'm Gen giving X. you the benefit I'm a of Gen the doubt. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm okay. a Gen X. I was gonna say baby boomer, you know. Not quite um, that old. No. Are you from you know, Flintstones there? <laughs> Holy cow! Holy cow! Okay. Going off. So, what do you need? Um. Well, I feel like you know, your Generation X stigmatizes us. He, they say that we're narcissistic, mm-hmm. self-absorbed. Yes. 
Check. <laughs> and yeah, all we need is this feedback. But it's true. I think we do need feedback, but we want to defend ourselves as to why. It's it's not just that, you know, we're in, involved in ourselves. It's more of that we're trying to figure out who we are. And by that, yeah. I mean, like, what what are we really good at? Are we really good at what we're doing? Are we really meeting expectations, I think, is the main thing. Yeah, and a lot of the problems I think that we're having is – um, you know, your generation, Matt, looks at us as if we're always looking for feedback, but we're never asking for any advice. Yeah. So we're just kind of doing our own thing and expecting you to give us that feedback, but that's not necessarily true. We just get our advice from a different source than maybe what you used to when you were our age because like, we have things like Google right. and Siri, you know. If we I have a question, Reader's Siri, Digest. Right. We had the Reader's What's Digest. So, we had the Encyclopedia. I found that at so, CI. So I found that at the thrift store. <laughs> World book. So yeah. that's where this confusion comes in. And this article said that Boomer and Generation X mentorship is the cure for bridging the generation gap and fixing huh. Millennials. What do they mean by mentorship? So instead of going to Google and to Siri for our advice, Matt, we're actually going to bridge that gap, and we're going to come to you today <laughs> to help to help maybe you understand why we're, we're coming for we're coming to you for advice and feedback. So How we have cool. a couple of questions. Oh for my you. heavens! Okay, this is great. So again, remember we got our information from World Book, you got, and Reader's Digest. You are now coming to us to me, symbolically representing X Gen. And I will give you feedback and answers to your questions. Yeah, as your chance to prove yourself that through all of these generations that you have lived yes. through, you've learned something that you can share with us. This is huge. Okay. We're going to take these on to our children, like these answers. So whatever I answer, yeah. you're going to take back and let your your children. You're affecting my future daughter right Okay, now. yeah, yeah, this is good. Yeah. good. So um, no pressure. So yeah. I'm paying it forward. Right. Okay, great. No. So we have a, I have a question it. for you yeah. first. And this sure. one's kind of more on the uh, funny side, so feel free to okay. to make us laugh here. But so what would you tell a friend, Matt? Yeah. So a young single adult. Think about our age yeah, here. Yeah. What do I tell my friend who has horribly bad body odor <laughs> every day and complains to me all the time that nobody asks her out on dates and it's not that she's not cute. Yes. She just smells bad. How do Ooh. I tell her that? That is such great advice. Now, I don't want to hurt her feelings. No. That's a great question. Um, not even advice yet. It's a question. I, interestingly, you know Ben... Right. Our uh, board dog? We Ben and I have actually gone through this problem. We have BL? Did you have BO? No, no. It was I was just I just wanted to give him some feedback. Some but what you say is you, this is one thing you can do. You just go Ooh. What is that smell? <laughs> you just ask that. And then it's like, "Whoa! That somebody has BO." And you're like, and then smell yourself. No, not yeesh. And then just walk away. Very, very <laughs> subtle. So your generation, Generation X, is uh, yeah. all about subtlety. Yeah, subtle. See, yeah. because I like that. If, if I take her on, I'm like, Stacy, you really stink. stink. That's just she'll be affected by that. But she needs the feedback, right? Right. So I just go, woo! Somebody has bo. And sometimes you could do that when no one's in the room, except for Stacy and you. And then it's just then it's obvious. Or you can just be like, ooh, something, something smells like B.O. I might do it when there's like three people and then walk away. Ah. Oh, hmm. right. Is that Case cheap? Stacy, well, that's, that, that's good. That's your technique you. there. That, no, that, okay, that, that's kind of the, that's the passive way. Do you smell anything right now? There's three of us here. <laughs> if you do, it's Caitlin. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, Shush. Caitlin always runs in after dance. That's the problem. It's not even my fault. Do you guys, I don't stink. Do you guys smell dance feet? 
<laughs> okay, that's probably true. That's probably totally true. <laughs> I'll admit that. But so that's a kind of a passive way to do it. Another way you could say it is if I wanted to just really tell her, like if she was if she was my daughter and we were and I she needed the feedback, I'd say, Babe, there comes a time when your body starts to make different smells. <laughs> the time when every woman needs a deodorant stick. And but I'd kind of I'd just be serious. I just give some data and you know what? I'm just picking up some smells that you have a little BO. And straight up. we need to clean our clothes and and here's some axe spray for okay. the guys. So you're saying if it's a relative close to you, you just you should be up front so yeah. they you know to trust you. If it's somebody you don't know that well, you just throw it on like, blame on other people. No, I, just, you know, I do it sure general. Like you. what the Like did, what is that? Did somebody kill a skunk? <laughs> and that's really good. Okay, that's just one. Okay, is, is that the kind of advice you want? Yeah, no, See, that's great. That's better yeah. advice than what you could get on some other site. Just remember, you're yeah, you're representing Generation X right now. Is I that mean, better than what we can find on Google? Well, yeah, I but, would say so. Well, on Google, yeah, on Google, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm on Google. Yeah, Google, you can get equipped with images. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Another question. Okay. So, um, you know, our generation right now, uh, well. Yeah, a lot of us are in this kind of awkward, awkward age where we are not part of our family. I mean, we're not living with our family yet. Yeah, but we are aren't married yet. Right. So, my question is like, what is your tie to your parents? What is your obligation to your parents still? Are you still supposed to go? You know, do I have to drive my siblings around still, or what? Okay, there there is a commandment, one of the ten, that is honor your father and your mother, which as an ex gen. Or this would work with baby boomers. You pretty much are indebted to your parents forever. Whatever your parents need, whenever they need it, what time, whatever place, whatever, anything, whatever they say goes. Really? I'm not sure I, I like I this segment that, anymore. Um, <laughs> um, do you still have children? Do I have they leave six you? kids. And are they out of the house? Uh, t- one's out, one and a half are out are of the house. Are they in an institution like no it's uh but (laughs) so here's the deal this is because eventually here's what i'm learning eventually you i'm gonna live with you oh as your father uh, you're like no you're just my boss um (laughs) i didn't know this but as a father your your parents will eventually come back and it will go full, full circle circle of life true they diapered you you will eventually diaper them that is a good point and so what so I, was, I should be going home. And yeah, but you need to tear yourself away. You need to pull away. So you need. So really, parent. This is the real answer. Parents need to let you go. Get out of the way. You need to be willing to go. Get out of the way. Stay close. Stay in contact. Come visit once in a while. Eventually, don't borrow money. Don't need money. Mm-hmm. Get on yeah. your own. Do everything. Don't get anything. Okay. And then, <laughs> well, that, that's just grown up. And then eventually, we'll feed you once in a while. Once a month, come eat. Um, and then later in life. You'll get to take care of us. Mm, what a pleasure! I look forward. That's, That's the circle answer. of life. I like that answer. That is, isn't that a great answer? Yeah. But you're not obligated to have to. Like, you shouldn't probably be running carpools. So you might need to go have a real conversation with your mom and say, "Mom, I need to go to school. I need to make a living. I need to find somebody that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I can't always be here to run carpools. I'd love to run them when I'm available, but I'm not always available. Now, okay. can I borrow five hundred dollars? <laughs> To pay mm. for books. I owe tuition. That's, those are easy. I have a really quick question for you guys, though. Yeah. Okay. But you got, you've only got like 30 seconds. Okay, I'm ready. Um, how do I change my ringtone on my phone? <laughs> 
Well, you can either go to the That's iTunes store. You can go to the iTunes store and buy a ringtone for a dollar twenty nine, no. or you can use go to your settings on your iPhone yeah, no, yeah. and go to sounds. Okay. I have and an idea. Pick a different sound. You know what? There's a, a record button on there. Yeah. I will sing for you, and that and, can be and we can make up. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll just no. I'll just go buy one. I'll just go buy a. No, I, I'm. I'll do it for free. No, no. You I know, mean, I, really? I, I'm okay. pretty good. I'm pretty good. That was magical. That was. That means it's the end of the show. That's my new ringtone. <laughs> it's called "A Kiss from Heaven." That's an angel playing a harp. Well, great guys. That was fun. It was fun to learn from the millennials. And is any time a Gen Xer can help a millennial, let let me know. We appreciate you. it. You know where my office is. Yep. Yep. Good job. Well done, Leanna Tam, Caitlin Thomas. They're incredible. Producers extraordinaire. They're awesome. That's why the Matt Townsend Show works, because we've got the best people in the world, even though they are millennials. And uh, they're incredible. Folks, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. September 11th, celebrating 9-11 today, Patriot Day. And right now we're going to shoot it down to two awesome Patriots, our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, doctor. What's up? Happy Patriots Day. Absolutely. It uh, certainly puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It totally does. And then... It comes to us, and we're so quickly taking everything out of perspective. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> hey, are you guys ready for the big game tomorrow? We are, you know, and with it being September 11th, it, it's hard not to think about what BYU did last year on a Thursday night, a September 11th game against the University of Houston. Mm. Really, really cool uh, set up by David Almodova and BYU Athletic Marketing. Um, what do they call those, Jim, with the, the boards? Where they have the, the crowd holding flip up. Cards yeah, the flip cards or something. Yes. Oh, that's right. The message, we will never forget. Yeah. Uh, just that really, was cool. really cool. And so BYU has been tweeting that out today, you know, kind of the pictures from the press box of, of how that all went down last year. And yeah, I mean, it just. It's going to be good. We have a really cool job. Yeah. And we get to do it, and you get to do it, Matt, because of what our servicemen and women do. That's right. And then, and then, you know, we have the nerve to complain. That's right. I don't isn't know. That, yeah, yeah, isn't that cheap of us to do that? It's totally cheap. Anyways. If, if we had we, to go yes, fight, very, come on. We are very excited to be able to watch college football tomorrow night and uh, to obviously remember uh, the real heroes on Patriots Day. But, it, yeah, there, there's a lot to be excited about right now for how, sure. How do, you, how do you sense we're going to do tomorrow? BYU, Boise State, I mean, it's a big deal. And uh, Boise's ranked – what do you think? What's your gut? Give me your feeling. I want to know. Gut feeling. Yep. BYU will find a way to beat Boise State because of the emotion that they bring from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Home opener, crazy crowd, Saturday night, lot, lot of anticipation for this game. And they're an underdog once again. Yeah. An underdog at home. 
doesn't happen all that often for BYU. Bronco was begging the crowd to come out. Like, you come out, make a difference. And it's, t- it's tough when it's a kick at 821 local time. Ugh, you I know. know. I, I get it. But it's BYU football. Yeah. It's destination, you know, experience. You you put it in Sharpie when the schedule comes out, blah, blah, Or you watch it if you're not local, right? Right, right. You watch that and you stay up and you just do it. You know, you just do it and you showed up. It's a wide out, by the way, for the fans. And Ooh. it's a wide out for BYU in, in jerseys. Like uh, it. Boise State always has unique jerseys. It's, it's an interesting matchup. Tanner Mangum, the kid from Eagle, Idaho. Grew up a Boise State fan and a BYU fan. Went to Boise State games. There's a picture with a funny potato head of him out there at a Boise State game as a teenager. I don't know. Is he 14 in the picture or something? He looks He's, 14 now. Yeah. yeah. He needs a helmet that fits him a little better. I yeah. talked to him about that money. It was funny. He looks like, uh, what's his name from Spaceballs? What's Lord Helmet. Lord Helmet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I gave him a hard time about Lone that. Lone Star. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully they get him a helmet That's that right. fits. And uh, he's a true freshman. First start at home against Boise State. I'm trying to think of a situation where there's more pressure on his shoulders. Oh, you know, no, be, yeah. We'll, we'll see how he performs. He's, he's a gamer. He's a good quarterback, but there's going to be a learning curve. The quarterback position at BYU is unlike any other for let, any team let, in the country. Let's get real now. The most high-profile Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. The prophet, the apostles, maybe the president of the university, Bronco Mendenhall, Dave Rose. They're all there. You're talking tight end, you know, tight end. You know, they're famous former athletes. And then whoever the quarterback is, (laughs) that guy, and that guy happens to be 22 years old, had his birthday on Tuesday, and is making a first start. The pressure that he's under, I can't imagine uh, that not affecting him in some way. But he's really level-headed. Poised, mature, all that stuff. I think he plays a good game. I think it's close, and I think that BYU wins the game, which would be a really nice win. Oh, that would be so cool. It really would. And needed. Come on. Here's why I'm we got very a big optimistic, month. Matt. Yeah. Boise State has a quarterback making his first road start. He was... Oh, I'm looking for the word. In his, in his home opener against Washington, Ryan Finley was serviceable, okay. pedestrian. I mean, he was good enough. He, he made some simple throws. He didn't make any horrific mistakes. But in that environment, ESPN2 Saturday night against BYU with all of that emotion, I think he's just going to struggle. And yeah. I think Tanner Mangum will feed off of the energy of the home crowd, and that will work in his advantage. So I give a slight advantage to Tanner being at home in Provo against a quarterback making his first road start in Ryan Finley. Plus, they'll simplify the offense, right? And our, the line does a great job right now. This is good. If BYU can't run the ball, they're going to be in trouble, though. That's they, true. They, Taysom Hill ran the ball effectively, and that opened things up. If BYU does not establish a running game, it might be a long night for the Cougars because you don't want to ask a true freshman to throw the rock 50 times no. in the game. BYU's going to run at least 70 plays. You so shouldn't throw rocks anyway, if we're honest. You the shouldn't rock. be throwing her. Oh, the rock. Not, okay. not generally yeah, rock. Just the, <laughs> just rock. the rock. Tanner Mangum's going to run the ball more than we anticipated. Yeah, I bet he will, too. Mm. I would. Uh, for his sake and everyone's sake, please no. <laughs> because but when you get him that, is another true freshman. But then you get in that tight situation, and if you can go gain three yards, you know, sure you lose you know, body he part. He knows how to slide, though. He's yeah. smart. Well, yeah, you got to be smart that way. Hey, um, you're, Spencer, you're a runner. Why aren't you out running the rock? Why am I not running the rock? I mean, you, you've got a good four four time. When I was in fifth grade, four four thirty 30-yard dash? Yeah. 
four, something like that. Yeah. Listen, four, I was four, the four, number 20. one overall pick in my fifth grade flag football league in Clinton City, Utah. No, you okay. know what? That's hey, don't badmouth that. That's huge. So I'm just saying. Well, we, I was running the rock all over the place in 1992. <laughs> You're giving away your age. <laughs> Keep these things secret. You guys, that's a radio secret. It's like never tell anyone how old you are. I know. Everyone thinks I'm 46. Because then they won't relate with you, and then they'll change the channel. When really you're 64, man. I'm really 72 years old. Oh, you look great for 72. Vitamins, I dude. Thought you, I thought you got a discount on that bus the other day. Did you see that? Yeah. You ain't Not it. weird. Did you notice how the bus, so bus kind of kneels down for me to let me get on? Mm-hmm. It's super cool. You got a cheaper dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Life's Twofer. good, man. That's right. Yeah. Going to bed at 7. Yeah. I have a two-for-one on um, hip joints if you guys want to go in on one. I'll let you know. Okay. I'll let you know after intramural flag football season. Yeah, let's see how that goes. Yeah. Guys, you're going to have a great show. And have a great job. Have a great game tomorrow. I know you guys work really hard on Saturday. We've got a pregame show. We're looking forward to 9 it. 9 Eastern time on uh, BYU TV called Countdown to Kickoff. We're excited. Man, you're the best. Hey, and top of the hour, thanks, guys, for being here. <laughs> Listen to these gentlemen. They are they're the real deal. And they'll be setting up tomorrow's game, BYU Sports Nation. Right after this show. All you got to do is just sit still and boom, they're on. Good stuff. Wow. They get to go to the games. They get pa- press passes. They get to wear, they get all the, the, just the gear. They're handing me wristbands. Yeah. It's the real deal, folks. Hey, did you hear this news story? It reminded me of you. Totally, Benjamin. Uh, a, a guy, a 33-year-old Connecticut man told police he was heading to traffic court to take care of a speeding ticket when Vermont State Police pulled him over for driving 112 miles an hour. You know what I... Instead of explaining it, you know what I'd do? What? Oh, yeah. You go samurai on him. You can't do that or you'll be arrested for something else. Your hands are a lethal weapon. Well, I figure if I'm already speeding to traffic court, like, there's nothing else to lose. Let's just be real. If you're going 112 miles an hour and a cop pulls you over, why would you be dumb enough to say, I'm going to pay off a speeding ticket? You wouldn't say that. That's just stupid. Hence the samurai sound. Yeah. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, we'd see you, I'm sure, on CNN. And then we uh, witnessed this samurai, this, this blonde... Boy, I think he's about 14, doing a samurai kick. He was carrying a stick. After speeding 112 miles an hour. Apparently, the interstate that he was on is a 65-mile-an-hour zone. He has been charged with excessive speeding and negligent operation. He was given a citation to appear, by the way, in the same court where he was headed. And uh, anyway, they have stopped apparently 10 drivers on interstate highways in the last month for going at least 100 miles an hour. It's crazy. That is crazy. And did you hear this other crazy news going on in China? There's a town in China that there's such a deficit. The ratio of male to female is so low that everybody like in the towns, they all have three girlfriends. Excellent. Why do you say excellent? Ben? No, that's wrong. 
It's embarrassing, the guy said. If you don't, have, if you only have one girlfriend, that's embarrassing. What, you can't get three girlfriends? So they're three-timing their girlfriends in China. And a lot of it has to do with there's a big factory, a big plant there. This is in China's Guangdong province. And it's, it's now created this polyamorous attitude in the town. There's a disparity, apparently 89 men for every 100 women. Because in this town, it's a big manufacturing town, and the, the, the uh, manufacturers are hiring more women because they're more reliable workers. So now you've got this whole town full of women, and no men. It's like Alaska in China. I think there's more women to men in Alaska. Isn't that true? Also on BYU campus. Also on BYU campus. But you, you can't have three girlfriends, so we're trying to blow that up right now. These these wonderful factory girls, they, workers, they come in, they work, and you know they're actually they even know, they know that these men are three timing them, but they're like you know, what do you do? So, just be grateful you live where you live. I mean, unless you're on BYU campus, because then it's same odds. Anyway, you can't have three girlfriends. I'm telling you right now, Ben. Anyway. Watch out for that. If somebody asks you to go move to Guangdong um, province in China, don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. Anyway, uh, we always like to end with a hero story. To wrap up the Matt Townsend Show, fan, uh, Chicago Bears fan who's uh, named his brain tumor Aaron Rodgers will, uh, has been invited to come watch the game between the Green Bay Packers on September 13th at Soldier Field. And uh, now the boy, 14-year-old Miguel Reyes from Elkhart, Indiana, is on his way there. He's excited to go. He has to go through chemotherapy. It's on his, he's on his eighth round of chemotherapy. His family says he's ecstatic. This is going to be the greatest game ever. Reyes named his tumor Aaron Rodgers, he said, because uh, Aaron Rodgers always beats the Bears. And Reyes wants to win this time. He says he's ecstatic, his mom says. The first thing he said is, my Aunt Peg and I are going to have so much fun down there watching the guys warm up. They get to go down on the field and uh, and meet some of their, their favorite players. Anyway, pretty cool story that uh, they, they're allowing this to happen, making this happen. He said, when I called and let her know that we got two tickets, she said, no way, you should go. So this Aunt Peg's going to be taking him. It's such a cool experience, folks, when these teams reach out like this. This is incredible, the mom said. Just to see his face, for him to see my face will be so great. My whole life I wanted to meet Brett Favre, and now I get to meet all of the Packers and the Bears. At least I hope to meet Clay Matthews. While Miguel Reyes and Kelly will be guests of the Bears, Christy, her husband, and Miguel's uncle and brother will be on hand as guests of the owner of the Chicago car dealership who read Miguel's story. Anyway... The poor boy has to go through chemo on Tuesday, this Tuesday, last Tuesday, which makes his whole body hurt. And then he hopes to recover. He can take some painkillers, but in the end, uh, it just makes him nauseous. So be looking out for little Miguel Reyes. And uh, my hat goes out to everybody that made it possible for our little hero, Miguel, to uh, not only fight cancer, but to name it. And to name it Aaron Rodgers is pretty cool. Folks, we're out of here. That's the Matt Townsend Show. Make it a great weekend. Look after each other. Take care of each other. We'll be back Monday. More tools, more ideas right here on BYU Radio.